My name is Elizabeth Lewis, and I'm the owner and CEO of Detroit Mom. As a teen mom, I know firsthand the feeling of isolation and the fears that come at different stages of motherhood. I spent half the time wondering where to find community and the other half dreaming of a way to create that community for myself and the women around me. No mother should experience change and challenges alone. I created this community and podcast to make sure women in my community are never alone. Welcome to the Unfiltered Mom Podcast. The intention of this podcast is to make sure you have a voice and your story is being heard. Hello. Good morning. Happy Monday. Well, good afternoon, I guess, at this point. We wanted to jump on this morning and stay in our normal routine of being on here every other week with you. This week obviously is a little bit different as we recognize the tragedy that many of us, that all of us experienced last week and how you're feeling and the grieving process. And as we move into a new week, what it looks like for you. And I know for all of us, we all had different reactions. So first hearing the news of the Oxford school shooting, it instantly we were in the, our group chat. We have a group chat on Facebook and everybody had a different reaction every single person. And I think it's important to recognize that, that it's quite possible that every single person on here had a different reaction too. And I want you to know that is completely normal. Like it's based off your past, your personal experience, your, how you view the world, actually how you, you know, I think a lot of it too, is how you view the world, what, what it looks like for you currently. And so that's kind of what we wanted to jump in this morning and have that, that conversation with you really discussing our perspectives, each one of ours and how it was different, because I think you'll see a lot of yourself in, in somebody on here. And, but I didn't want to start without recognizing how we're all feeling. And even, you know, it's so interesting as we go, you know, many of us are still feeling, I still have kids home. So you're feeling it that way. It's all over the news. I feel like you can't go anywhere without it being on the news and there's new information and it, and some of it, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know how you guys feel. A lot of it has been some places political and just feels really gross at times. Like there's, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts, <laughs> but I want to, I kind of want to start here. Tom Keen or Erica or Kanisha, whoever wants to start just kind of, you know, let's, let's have that discussion on why it was different, how it was different and go from there. Sure. So when we heard the news, it was kind of a little bit shocking. I remember I was sitting on the couch with my son. So I kind of knew later on in the day, I didn't know early on what happened. So I was sitting beside um, my son, he's 16, and I read the alert on my phone or the news or somebody has sent it to me, the link for it. So I read it and I kind of was like, it kind of pulled back and then I showed it to my son he was sitting right next to me and his eyes widened and, and he got like really worried, really scared right away because, you know, Oxford, we live in uh, Oakland County as well. So Oxford's not too far away, just felt really close to home. 
and then my 15 year old so I've got three teenagers at home I've got an 18 year old daughter she's in college but I've got two high schoolers one 16 one 15 so my 15 year old then read it and the first reaction was wow it could happen to that was their first reaction and later on they you know we just had a little bit of a talk about it not too much they read into it and then kind of just like got busy with our evening when they went to the school the next day and the teachers discussed with them my 16 year old like two different boys two different reactions my 16 year old said that you know he was afraid he said literally mama got scared at school that anytime someone could do this and as a mother what I worried about was more than feeling powerless in the moment what power do I have as a parent and that is the first initial reaction I felt like like what can I do because I'm, I, I have four boys. So I looked at my sons and not to say that, you know, this isn't like a gender thing, but more often than not, we've heard about, you know, it being something that a teenage boy has, has done. And so I, I thought about like, what can I do as a mother? What am I doing or not doing, missing or, you know, doing right as a mother that can help my child in understanding that turning to violence is not the answer. And in response to that, I had written a piece for Detroit Mom and I written that, you know, don't pull the trigger, dear child. And I had a reaction from one of the, uh, one of the readers said, you know, I don't like the fact that you used dear child. And, and for me, he was, it was my child until they pulled the trigger. Then it's someone who did a really horrendous, awful, heinous crime. But until that trigger is pulled, it's still a child who needs help in some shape or form. We need some some guidance. Something has to happen. Then after that, when then it's too late. And so I was speaking to basically, basically, I had my son in my eyes when I was writing this, saying, "Don't do it." It's so so that's the reaction I got. And I got some pushback from that for in writing it in from that space, like, "Hey, that's not a child. That's someone who did a horrendous crime." I said, "Yes," but for me, until the trigger is pulled, that was a child. After that, then 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 it's too late. Yeah, I, I feel you on that. And when I read it, I felt that too, what you were, what message you were trying to convey. I think it's hard for, for people. And I've been in this position too, to see the previous, right? Like right, right. that this was a kid that desperately right, right. needed right. help. And, you know, sometimes I always think the unfortunate part is that kids or us, people are born into families that, I don't know, just the stuff that's coming off about his parents, I'm like, oh my God, how unfortunate. Like they clearly should not have had children, but that right, is- But I think that, I think sometimes if we do that, we also see we as mothers and sometimes as parents see the red flags in our children, even if, the, if we have a loving home, if we have great have background history, that was his case. But I feel like Let's let's have that uncomfortable conversation at home with each other saying like like I, I feel like sometimes we get stuck in this space of saying that it could happen to that family, it could happen to this family. No, it could happen to our families, all of us. And we are not, none of us are immune to the fact of being hit by violence as a victim, or perhaps not seeing the flags in our children and, and they do something wrong. Like I'm not school shooting, not the only type of violence, but it's, but this is what we're talking about today, but it could be any other form of violence. Yeah. Like, how do we embody this, this space of empowerment and say, I can do as much as I can. I'm listening to my child. 
I'm seeing what they're doing on their cell phone, like not like, you know, sneaking. I'm saying that like, you know, it's so, don't be so lost in, in your own world. You don't know what the world that they're living in. Who are they friends with? What are their hobbies? Like, know those things, have that conversation at your dinner table, put the phone down, listen to your child when they're saying, I don't feel good, you know, or this kid made fun of me today. Like I'm, I'm at the receiving end of so much bullying sometimes. And I've seen my child withdraw so much away from everything. And I'd be like, hey, you used to love this food. How come you don't eat it anymore? Well, how come you don't do this anymore? And seeing those red flags and catching them before it's too late. And I think sometimes when we look too much into some, someone's history, we yeah. forget that we are not immune from it either. We're living in a place and time that we can you know, have it. That's actually, I, I want to share this is uh, we actually had a writer or not a writer, a Detroit mom reader who sent me a private message and she said, Elizabeth, I, I want to share this with you because I don't feel I have a space to share this right now, but my daughter was bullied in Oakland County. Like she was bullied to the extent she wanted to take her own life. Right. And she said, I'm not condoning what happened to this, this, what he did. I'm not condoning right. it, right. but I'm saying that this is what's happening. If this kid was, you know, I have a lot of, and obviously at this point, we didn't really know. She's like, I have a lot of questions. Were they bullied? Were they, and, and she really was coming from a point as a parent. Yes. I have seen what it has done to my child. I yes. have seen the effects, like the withdrawn. And, and I think she told me her daughter is now in college. And honestly, I was, I, I took a step back and I was like, oh my gosh, like, I have not ever been bullied and we haven't experienced it yet in our home. So I don't know what, right. I don't know. I know if it happened, I would be all like, like mama bear. And you think that sometimes, but it's so out of your hands, especially if they're teenagers. Like really? and I have a boys, I have boys who've been bullied to the point where he has wanted to basically, if he wanted, if he, if he could do something to himself, he would have. Is the school, gosh, I guess this is like a whole nother question. Are the schools not doing stuff? Like, I know, Erica, you're in the school system. I don't know if you can, I don't know. I think this, oh my gosh, I just have like, I literally have like a full body ex response right now because how we can't protect our kids in school, right? How are we supposed to protect them if they're getting bullied, if they're all of these, like, okay, Erica, I'm going to let you talk. <laughs> I, yeah. No, yeah. I similarly have a visceral reaction to any news that happens at a school period. And it's interesting because of, in all of the things that I've protested and fought for and continue to fight for in my life, I, I draw the comparison that being a school employee, a public school employee or private charter, whatever, is in some regards similar to being a police officer with regard to a lot of people have thoughts and feelings and opinions about what should be happening and what it looks like and what we should be doing without ever having set foot on the other side. And it's just interesting because in other regards, I feel like we are very different, but I learned more from working in schools about life, parenting, and just the limits of the school system than a person could, you cannot know these things without working in it. It is just absurd, the amount of knowledge that you pick up from seeing it every day. And so I'm on the comments and Whitney's there with me. But yeah, once you're on the inside, you learn 
you learn so much more. To go like rewind it a little bit, my reaction last Tuesday, uh, I was still at work when I found out and I work right now in elementary next door to a high school. My first thoughts were not as a parent. My first thoughts were as an educator. And I know that I saw actually one of my, the first questions I asked in my head was, have we not had this yet? And like, what a disgusting first thought to have. Have we in Michigan, has this not happened here yet? Because it's happened so often, even in just my eight years of being in schools that I had to think about the map, like, okay, Florida, Colorado, you know, my first thoughts were as an educator. And I saw some of my educator colleagues in the coming days, hours and days say things like, we never thought it would happen here. And I felt like, well, that's, that's foolish because I think it could happen here every day. When I worked at a high school, I, wor I worked at the high school two days a week and I worked at the elementary three days a week. And two days a week, I would go in gearing myself up for, there's an emergency window in my office. I know I can get out and run straight to that parking lot. This student was having a tough time last week and statistically is more likely to hurt us. So I will make sure that I meet with that student. And so just like the, the amount of anxiety that goes into being an educator every day, I was someone that was constantly thinking about when this happens. Um, and it's and interesting to, and what? Hearing you say this, we put a lot of pressure on you. Oh, absolutely. And because a part of the conversation too is, and I, I realized this when I started working, I wasn't a parent yet. I've had my daughter since I started working in schools and that changed everything. But I had a newborn when Parkland happened. And I remember even then, and now there's this conversation about the teachers should do such and such to protect our kids. Mm. What about my kid? You know, I had to think about when I was going into that high school every day, I love your kids at school, but I am bound, like I love mine at home. And I, if I have to choose between yours and her and mine, for one, why would I ever choose that? But for two, why would you expect expect me to make the choice that is not my own family, not my own kid. And that is a pressure. I mean, it's different fire drills and tornado drills. Of course, I'm protecting your kid. We're all in this together. One thing is happening typically for the whole building. We have our evacuation routes. When we've had our Alice trainings, our active shooter drills, it is room by room. You have to figure out what to do in that space. And there's lots of debate about, do you open the door to let a kid in from the hallway? And the police that do Alice trainings will tell you, no, you have to leave that door closed. You never want to think about that parent that's on, whose kid is on the other side of that door. Mm. But the decision-making that goes into, like, you know, I went to school to be a social worker and to help kids with their social skills in the school building. Never did I anticipate having to make life or death decisions for your kids and mine for myself. But that's stuff that people don't think about when they're telling us what to do and how to do it. And that's things that they don't think about when they hear that, you know, we have emergency trainings all the time. Yeah, we do have emergency trainings all the time, but you don't know what they're like. No one else's job has this. It's outrageous. But yeah, I've been in active shooter trainings where there the police came and did it, facilitated it for us, but there we had to hide barricade the doors, prepare ourselves with weapons to disarm and discombobulate the intruder. We've had someone get into the room and shoot us with Nerf guns. 
that's not something you've had to do, most people. So I had like this huge visceral reaction as an educator first last week, um, preparing myself for, okay, here we go again. I was worried about the high school next door, not about something happening, but what do those kids need? What do those staff need? Because high schools, I think, feel the trauma in a different way. As now being in elementary, none of us, I don't think we, it's, we're not immune to it, but I think we do think of high schools and secondary first. So being in elementary, I felt, you know, we feel a little bit safer, but so then I went to, what do my staff need? Can I support them while I'm going through it too? And we did some things in the building to try to support the staff, but then you just prepare yourself for the conversations because every time this has happened, the same conversation happens about what schools need to do more of. And I've honestly had to tune I don't usually do this, but I've had to tune the news out the past six days because it's just it's just too much. There's too much that people don't know about what happens inside of schools. And yet everyone has their opinion and their comments and their thoughts about it. Yeah. No one's asking. No one's asking us anything. They're making assumptions and saying, well, this should have happened. Well, and I maintain it feels different when your kid is the one who's in the office or when your kid is the one who had a misbehavior, when your kid is the one that someone feels suspicious about, parents have a totally different tune. And we have to acknowledge everyone. We have to take care of everyone. But so educator, tons and tons of thoughts and feelings and reactions. And then I go straight to, as a black person, thoughts and reactions that a lot of folks did not likely have. I know that of the other Black people that I talked to that day, we had the same thoughts, stuff that someone might not think about if they're not a person of color, particularly Black people. But, you know, in the immediate minutes and hours after we found out that the shooting happened, I already knew, like, well, that kid's white. And I knew that because he was taken in alive. And that is trauma. That is a trauma response to have that thought. And it's trauma that it happens. And it's like, what I've described it to someone else is, you know, we want, we want no one to be killed by the police. No one wants that ever. But every time that you hear a story of another black or brown person that was murdered, unarmed, and then you hear another story of a white person that was taken into custody, unharmed it's like a notch on the trauma belt of okay here we go again if this was me if this was my brother if this was my son he would be dead not a, not a doubt in my mind and that's so hurtful all the time to think about but you also can't escape it so you know it goes I went from this educator mode to this as a black person mode of man why can't they have that mercy for us where is that grace for us where is that, that patience and whatever it is, that self-control for us? And why is it missing? But, and then, you know, you move on to the next thing because yes, that's a thought that we have every time a news report comes out, but then there's not much we can do with it. So you move on to the next set of reactions that you have. And I'm very fortunate that my, as a parent, which was my third level reaction, you know, my daughter's four, we're still okay. And my son is still in the womb. So we have some time before we're at a secondary setting and I'm hoping that this won't be a conversation by then. And that's the, well, not the most we can do. We can do a hell of a lot of voting and advocacy between now and then. But, 
you know, so I felt fortunate that I'm not worried about my daughter's preschool in the way that Tom Keen probably is for her teenage kids school. But I do worry about I'm in the building myself. I'm in the school. So I'm not where I'm not worried about my kid being harmed. I'm, I worry about harm for myself every day or my husband. He's also an educator in secondary. There's like nothing not to worry about when this yeah. when you get this news. It's hard for all the reasons. Oh my gosh. Yeah, just thinking, realizing, saying that what when the bullying happens, what happens? Like on an educator's like who what do we do? I I So here's the thing, and there was actually there was a speaker that I used to love and like share his stuff all the time. And I actually invited, he came to my previous school district and talked. I no longer support that person because he went kind of out, out there, but he did a lot of like the only bullying education that I've seen that I've really liked because he came at it from a different, totally different perspective. He came at it from the perspective of preparing your children with resilience to be resilient people, because honestly, zero is in our control outside of our own body. So yes, you can report to the school when something is happening. We can suspend, we can do restorative practices. We can do relationship building with the, and we can work with the person who's purportedly bullying, but we, in real life, I have no control over what comes out of that other kid's mouth or what their actions are. Just like you have no control over what your own kid says or does. There's only so much we can do. Suspension has been shown to not work. It's not a research-based thing. That's The evidence shows it's not helpful. Plus a lot of what is happening today doesn't even happen like face-to-face at school. It happens on a phone. It happens on a tablet. It happens on a computer. And I promise you, we do not have the rights to go and snatch up all your kids' devices. And a lot of people want us to have that right when it's someone else's kid. They don't want us to have that right when it's their own kid. But Physically, I cannot control what, what happens. The only thing we can do is try to teach and prepare the kids. You know, the, of course, we want you to be kind. We want you to be respectful to each other. Of course, we don't want anyone to bully anyone. At the same time, whatever comes out of your mouth is your own, and there's nothing I can do but respond to it. And sending so-and-so out of school in the days of these does next to nothing. What I took away from what you just said was it starts in our homes. Absolutely. That's the only place. I mean, and I think preparing kids for how to respond when someone treats them negatively does go, will go so much further than making it outside of their control and saying, well, if this happens, then you talk to the grownups and the grownups will handle it. The grownups will try to handle it, but what, how you respond as a person is up to you. I've already taught my four-year-old, you know, she came home a couple weeks ago and said, mom, so-and-so said that my hair is not long. I said, well, first of all, who cares if your hair is long? But second of all, what that person says is their business. And that has nothing to do with you. And I'm teaching my four-year-old that what someone else says or does has nothing to do with you. What do you believe about yourself? Because that is the only way that she will have any sort of response she can control to what happens around her. And, you know, schools, we're doing the the best we can, but keep in mind, especially in the last two years, everything else that you've heard people say that schools should be doing. Make the list and then tell us between 8.30 and 3.30 how and when we should do it. You know, we're the most underpaid 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like pay us like, pennies. A whole other conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait, I mean, and keeping in mind that like 15 minutes ago, people were saying, I want my tax dollars back because my kid had to learn at home. Cool. So I promise there's lots happening to try and prevent bullying in school, but ultimately yeah. we don't have that control. But trying to train up your children to be resilient and to, and of course, there's this huge distinction, like there's bullying. There's also like, we're not talking if someone's putting their hands on them, like that's assault and that is handled differently. You know, by no means are those two the same thing. And I think that's an important distinction too. No one is touching anyone. Once there's hands on, we're at a different spot. Once there's threats, we're at a different spot. But like this verbal stuff, there's so little we can do to control another human being's mouth. And it hurts the most. Yeah. Words, I to in my opinion, I'd rather be socked in the face than hear the words that I've heard kids say to each other. Like, and I think too, a major thing is that a lot. What I've seen is that a lot of parents think their kid will never be the one to do it. They think, you know, they prepare their kid for if someone says this to you. But yeah. so many folks have this blind spot. You'd be surprised which kids are coming to school and saying mean things to each other. It's mm. no, no one is above it. Zero people. Okay. are above it and I think that's a huge okay. conversation that people should be having at home because it's course coming we need to have a bullying because I'm genuinely curious as I have a daughter and I think it's in my opinion I've only had obviously raised an older daughter but girls are mean girls are mean it's yeah. me girls are mean girls are mean Though I will say, so are boys. Boys have done right. some really foolish things this right, year, right. especially after two years of not having normal socialization. They, yeah. They've definitely come back to school and we have to reteach them how to do recess. Girls tend to have more of what's called relational aggression and boys, they treat each other mean in different ways. They both, they both definitely have, have these problems. And, and let's not forget the fact that a girl and she comes and she cries or she says she someone's hurt her feelings she cries it's almost acceptable but a boy crying because you know somebody said some awful words is just him being weak so there's also that that you can't show your emotions a lot of time boys are holding on and what comes out as aggression is basically a little boy who's crying out for help and mm-hmm. so i think that when my daughter comes home and cries and she says it had a hard day it's acceptable we you know and if my boy says that, he's like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, there's this, this, this push away. There's almost like, no, no, I'm going to handle it myself. Mm-hmm. So there's that that happens too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't even think about that. I haven't raised, I have an emotional son that I want him to stay that way. Like he didn't give his tooth to the tooth fairy because he has too many good memories with it. Like I have that son. So I'm like, I need him to continue to be that way. So he does know that he can show emotion and becomes a really good husband someday because he can show emotion and a good, you know, a lot of things. But I didn't even think about that, Tom Keen, until you said that, how boys, especially this generation, the generation you're raising of boys, how not acceptable it is for them to be emotional. I can't imagine though in your home, Tom Keen, that you don't let your boys know that it's okay to be emotional. Well, they don't, they're not emotional until they come home. So they like, I, I feel like I have to 
I have to take off the layers they build on at school and in their life when, when they're outside their home until they're home again. And then they realize that this is a spa- safe space where they can cry and be okay. themselves. But, you know, I come from a very traditional Indian home. And so there is a little bit of that culture aspect as well. I'm, I'm different a little bit in our home. We're different, but we kind of have to, um, we have to work through it. It's, it doesn't come so easily for that, for some of them. Some of them do and some of them don't, but there's a general there's a general feeling that boys have to hold it together, be stronger. Yeah. You can't let that bother you. So they'll be like, yeah, it doesn't bother me so much. But then there's these underlying words that start coming out as a mother, you kind of hear it and you're like, yeah. no, you're not so okay as much as you're trying to convince me that you're okay. And you know, too, it's like the sacral. Right. Like, you're like, I know something's wrong with you. Erica, your educator perspective is literally priceless. Then we Thank have Alicia on the social worker side mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. not the school, for you're on, remind everybody what end you're on. So yeah. Erica, social work for so, school. Yeah. So I guess I'm technically not a social worker. I say I'm a pseudo social worker with my psychology degree, but I do a lot of work on the foster care adoption, you know, CPS end of things. And to be honest, like there hasn't been for my particular job right now, a lot of conversation around what happened and around this because I'm an educator right now, but for adults. So we haven't really broke it down in that aspect. But on the parent front, you know, we've been having the conversation at home. I have two boys who are eight and three or nine, might I say eight, he's nine definitely nine (laughs) in third grade and and preschool so my reaction when I first you know got news and started seeing what was happening in Oxford and things might have been a little bit different than Erica's and Tom Keen's because my child's still in elementary school and I feel that on that school front aspect it didn't hit me in like those thoughts right away, like right head on right away. Cause I don't have a child in high school and how, okay, I'm going to have this conversation with my child, but how am I going to have it in a different way to make sure, you know, what are they doing for safety at school and things of that sort? Cause he didn't understand what was going on. You know, when we picked him up from school, we said, you know, there was a school shooting today and this is what happened. And there was children that were killed and he didn't understand he was just like okay and I was like well he said well you know we do the like the lockdown drills and that could be like a completely my fault type of thing too because I feel like we like sheltered him like we don't talk a ton about you know Tom Keen, you talked about having those uncomfortable conversations there's just conversations that I'm sure I'm not the only mom that does sort of like shield my child from it because I don't you know I want to like keep them in this bubble I don't want them to know like those some of those gruesome details and things that are coming out of it but we did have a conversation and I said you know if you ever feel that you're unsafe or if anyone ever comes to you and makes like particular threats or anything like that you need to go and tell someone right away like sort of like an age level appropriate But I'm like, how do you talk to a nine-year-old about a school shooting? Like, I 
I was at a loss as a parent a little bit, overwhelmed with the resources that were coming out. Erica, you were sharing so many awesome resources and Detroit mom was sharing so many awesome resources. And I was just like overwhelmed. I was like, well, how do I use this? How do I start this conversation? Um, how do I talk to a nine-year-old about this? And, you, you know, we've seen things like Sandy Hook or where it happened at an elementary school. So elementary schools aren't immune to it, but I think that we shield our younger kids, you know, to a point and sort of like, you know, it's harder to have those conversations. So it was hard. It was hard. And I mean, I was definitely following and, and seeing what was happening and, you know, watching all the news stories and going down that rabbit hole. I wanted to know everything that was going on in the investigation and things like that. But I didn't connect it with the parental type of what I was talking about in my home. It was more for me to learn about the situation, what was going on. So there was like that disconnect a little bit. Now, <clears throat> it's devastating. It's, it's devastating. And how do I process it? I sort of feel like I was like numb a little bit. I have family members that are educators and you know, work in high school, work in elementary school at different levels. And I know that, you know, they were having similar thoughts to Erica, you know, about, you know, they're in the trenches of working in the school system. So they're processing things differently and the trauma that comes along with it, especially after all the other threats started coming out in the days after and all yeah. the schools were shutting down and everyone was sort of like in that crisis fight or flight mode. When it comes to the bullying aspect, I was going to touch on that a little bit too, because I definitely think that we have come a long way with having conversations with our kiddos and things of that sort. But I know that I was severely bullied and especially in elementary or uh, middle school, it was really, really, really bad. So I feel like I, I connect on that aspect a little bit of, yeah, we can't control what others are saying. And I sort of felt like I was a little left behind, like from my school counselors and stuff, but also that was like 20 years ago. So, you know, resources have changed since then. And, you know, I can continue to have the conversations with my kids about, you know, you need to be nice to others and respect others. But I too have a sensitive boy who, you know, I was just getting told last week at conferences that sometimes we have hard days when people say things to him and he starts crying and takes a second to recoup. And, I'm, and when you said, Tom Keen, you know, boys aren't allowed to show that emotion. I'm like, I think, you know, the teacher was sort of telling me that a little bit, but not telling me that a little bit. Like, we're not to show emotion or get upset when someone says mean thing to them. And I'm like, but, is it, but how's he supposed to process? I don't know. So right. I'm just trying to work through all of that. And I hope that there's some moms that feel similar to me, similarly to me, where we're sort of like, I'm in that like in-between space and then, you know, all the things that you said to Erica about the thoughts that came into my mind about if this was a black boy, if this was a brown boy, you know, but that's a different topic. I think when you say that too, and I agree that is like a whole other thing <laughs> um, and community is probably not ready for that one yet. But I think that when you say that, I think most people's reaction goes to, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, well, was he resistant 
and you guys have heard, I know you've heard this, like Mm -hmm. when it comes to it. And so when you said that, I was thinking to myself, oh, what did he resist? I couldn't remember. And then it was like, does it matter? I'll tell you, it hasn't mattered to lots of people, but also when we did the Alice training, like with the police, they tell you if you're in a shooter situation and like you have disarmed the shooter or for whatever reason, like you can see the gun, they say, don't pick it up, cover it with a trash can, because if you are seen touching it, regardless of who you are, the police, when they arrive, may think you're the the bad guy and shoot you down. So my gosh, I never thought about that. Oh yeah, that's part of our training. Again, things I don't want to freaking know, but they tell you cover it up with a trash can and push it away because if it's if you're spotted with it on your hand, who knows what they might think and how they will respond. And it's almost almost expected and guaranteed that we know what the reaction will be if it's a colored person who has that. Quote unquote, you know, I don't like using that word, but mm-hmm. so there's a lot of reactions and you know what we will be, we wouldn't be honest if we didn't say our backgrounds, our life, who we are, who we identify as plays a large part in what, in when, when we read the news, like right now, if you put up a headline right here and all four of us read that headline at the same time, depending on what life we live, what we believe in, what our past experiences are, the trauma we've been through, we're going to have a different reaction. All of us. Some of us might flight, some of us might not even have, I would say, the luxury to sit and process because it's a day in, day out trauma that relives again and again and again. It's a generational trauma. It's, 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 it's so deep rooted, embedded in us that sometimes when we sit and we're in that state of, of defensiveness, we don't even know where it's coming from, but it's been ingrained because it's been expected and it's been brought on us without any will of our own it's continuous pressing down pressing down like there was a time when if a muslim boy i remember this this was many many years ago a muslim boy was building a clock and there was a ticking that came from his backpack and right then and there i remember they had they put him in cuffs and when they opened his backpack they saw that he was building a clock now he was invited to the white house during that administration's time and stuff and you know but what that boy went through what that boy went through and why what the teacher said well because based on his name we weren't sure like you can you don't understand this like my sons have come home during different situations and said mom will we be kicked out tomorrow because somebody came into power mom will you know are people why do people hate us so much you know those are things that go on and on so this isn't just bullying this is bullying plus hate This is bullying plus hate and then putting put down again and again. Someone hates their mother because what she looks like. Someone hates their, the color of their skin. They carry all of that. They carry all of that. So these are not children just coming home because they have a lot of homework. They're coming home with so much immense pressure coming from all sides that it's just, if we're not having those conversations with our children, it's, it's just a moment of time before something happens to them or something around them happens. You know, it's just, it's, it's parents. I think we're really, really at this point, And I believe really strongly about this. It's time for us to put our phone down and look at our kids in the eye and have a conversation, not from the corner of our eye, but for like right in the eye, look at your child. Sometimes you'll realize you haven't even seen them in a very long time. Mm. And they haven't seen you 
in a very long time. And that connection, you'll feel it when you do that. When that heart in your eye connection is made, it's like you meet your child again for the very first time. I feel this. I'm coming to this from my experience. I was, you know, I battled mental health. If anyone who follows my writing knows this, that I was so lost in it that it, I feel like just two years ago, I looked at my daughter in the eye and I saw her for the first time after maybe a decade. I just looked at this girl and I was like, where have I been? Where has she been? And we're not making that conversation. We're expecting the schools to talk to our children. We're expecting the news to say the right thing. We're expecting everyone to say the right thing. It's time for parents to say that we are parents for a reason and do the right thing by having that conversation, uncomfortable or not. If your child is, if it's going around, like my son's today, he wore blue to school to show solidarity with Oxford. And I said to him, you know what that means? He's like, yes, uh, he's in middle school. So he's like, yes, you know, a whole bunch of kids got, you know, you know, some, someone shot at them and something happened. I said, okay, how do you feel about it? He's like, I'm not sure if sometimes I'm safe at school or not. Or he'll say like, I'm not sure if I said something, if I'll be okay or not. You know, that if I saw something, do I report it? Sometimes my kids have said, no, we've seen things happen in the bathroom. Mom, you don't know the boy's bathroom. You hear things, you see things. But if we said it, it would be wrong because then we'd have to go and we'd have to report it. And then people would talk to us and we don't want to be. So there's things missing going on right now. What that is, I don't know. But I feel the school is, I think, the last. The parents should be just looking into themselves and saying, what is it that I can do? And I think, too, like by no means the more so all of those reactions that I had last Tuesday were last Tuesday and then by Wednesday we got more news and Thursday we got more news and it was just like oh my gosh and you start to have different thoughts feelings and reactions including questions for the school but I feel like the the crux of it is and the the thing is that like every person who got who found out what happened last Tuesday and this is now across the world folks are talking about it there's insta accounts I follow in Australia that are talking about it every person has a different reaction and a different response to it based on like what team, what Tom Keen said, what you brought to the table, what's in our backpack, you know, and all of those are valid and real. And I feel like what I really wanted and needed and wished for, and now no, have no hope that it's coming from the community was just any bit of that, like mercy and grace for my reaction versus your reaction versus her reaction. It's, right. you know, it's almost like, like the community is ganging up on this aspect or another. And as an educator, I just, I feel completely like done. Like you guys can have it. I, I, I don't know. I have nothing left to say. And it's so hard. Most of the community when it comes to educators right now. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, the last two years as an educator have been hard enough with COVID because everyone had ideas about what we should be doing and continue to. And, you know, it's it's felt very helpless. And then you add in, you know, like there was that for a couple of years, we got to forget, not think about shooting anxiety so often because we were worried about catching COVID. And then last week brought it all back together. Like, oh no, you can have both. You can have both. So just, you know, it's like an uphill battle. It feels pretty helpless sometimes. And then add in that I'm also a human in this community. I'm in Southeast Michigan too. And, you know, I, I feel like my, my grieving as a community member has been suspended because of my grieving and my response as an educator and as a mental health professional, talk about a whole other thing. You know, it's just, it's so hard. And I feel like we're not giving each other that space in public arenas. So AKA in comment sections, we're not giving each other space that everyone can grieve how they need to grieve. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, I've read some comments. I'm like, what? Uh, and that's where we can't, I feel like there's, like you said, this disconnect between being able to have a, be able to disagree with each other respectably. And I think people don't realize too, it's so healthy to not agree. It is so healthy to, it, imagine if we all thought the same, like how crazy that would be in general, but not allowing that space, like you said, I see it too, of being able to disagree with one another, but not being worried because the way you feel is completely different than the majority. I also think that people forget that every, what you put out there, everyone can see. So yeah. what the garbage you put online about your kid's teacher, like your teacher has Facebook too, and they can see it. And what you put out there about kids that are like such and such, like a kid who's like such and such, their parent is seeing it too. And now how do they feel about what they're, how they're trying to parent and what they're trying to do for their kid? Like people think that it's this weird vacuum that we're, you know, no one's going to be harmed, but like, there's so much harm happening in public dialogue. That's not productive because we can all see what you said. Yeah. And imagine being the parent of a kid who is struggling and does need help or is already connected to help and then seeing how the world is treating you like I can't imagine I would want to hide mm. but at the same time so it's like people are having they're oddly comfortable having certain conversations out in the world but totally uncomfortable having crucial conversations at home why that is couldn't tell you um but yeah, they're more comfortable having the conversations, you know, like you said, in the comments section, because, you know, it's sometimes easier to type things, right? Yeah, and it's, it's not personal. To, it's not, you can bully people, you can be a troll, you can say, you know, whatever you want and get away with it. But if I came up to your house, would you say those same things to me to my, probably, well, maybe, I don't know, depending <laughs> on the person that you are. I know Kadisha was like, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, depending on what the maybe. conversation is. Yeah, maybe, depending on what it is. You're right, but I don't know. I think it's easier to blame than it mm -hmm. is to accept, right? So it's mm -hmm. easier to blame and say, oh, the schools did them wrong or the parents did them wrong or did mm -hmm. this, blah, blah. but not understanding that we are collectively also putting out a world for our kids where we're listening less, communicating less, and just, you know, putting them in front of things. I'm not like, I'm not anti putting my child in front of a screen because that's the only me time I'm going to get. Yeah, But then if it becomes like, I have literally come into homes where I've seen that that boy has been on the screen, like the entire time he was awake, whether he was eating his breakfast, whether he's like, they're always there. And I'm not, but there's a lot of, these are all connected little, little pieces. There's not one piece that blames everything, but we have to kind of really sit down and think about where is it that we're going wrong and fix all those little, little pieces because it wasn't like this before, and it's certainly happening a lot more where it's almost acceptable. You almost have to register in your brain, as horrific as it sounds, how horrific it was based on the fatalities of something, right? So is it most horrible because it was like this many people, oh, that must have been a really bad crime because this many people died? Or was it just, oh, it was just one, or there was only 10 injured, no one died. So our brains register and put them on different like platforms of how serious it was based on the, the fatalities or the, or, the, or the injured or something like that. And it's, it's an ugly truth, but this happens even when there's like, like worldly events that happen too. 
It's like, well, how many people of theirs died? Or how many people, okay, then you know who to blame, right? Then you know who's the oppressor and who's not the oppressor and blah, 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 blah. It goes on and on and on. And I think that someone who doesn't have, um, doesn't face racism on, on a day in and day out part cannot understand the fact that when the events like these happen and our brains go into a different area as well, but that's valid. Like what Erica was saying, it's so valid because it's, it's a reality. And I hate when people say, oh, here we go, they're bringing that in again, or there's a comment about a particular city and the violence there and stuff like that. And you know what? It's, it, it's, it's all there because it's all part of the world that we live in. And our children are carrying that with them all the time. You know, I like the way Erica said backpack, which is true. The kids are carrying that with them all the time. And so to say that that's, that's not valid or this not should be talked about right now is basically you still living in a bubble. You still not understanding the realities of it. And I think to some extent, I hope that people, I hope that bubbles are broken because where there's no discomfort, there's no growth and there's no change. And everyone, everyone has been upset and grieving and hurt in the last six days. So like, how can we use that? What can we do with it? You know, do something different. Let's not two months from now, just like, you know, because Parkland was farther away, we got past it and moved on and went mm. back to the status quo. Like, let's not, like, what if we just didn't do that? What if right. we start talking differently to our kids? Right. What if we start having a, a dialogue with the schools instead of a list of demands? What if, you know, we engaged with our civic system and, you know, figure out what policies are in place? What needs change? How do we do it? Let's, mm -hmm. let's do something, but let's, let's keep not. And keep it going. Yeah. Let's not let this, let's not go back to what we were in last Monday where we never thought to talk about this. Now we know, so let's use it. And there are lots of guides out there too about like how to, you know, how to talk to your kids or what to talk to your kids about. But start with just, I, I mean, my, I guess my suggestion would be to start with, do you even have a relationship where they can tell you the hard stuff? Hmm. Because if, if you don't and you try to jump to, here's how we should handle, you know, bullying or something like that. Like they might, they might not be ready for that. You might not be there yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just establishing open communication with your kids. I think it's that, that is obviously a huge part too, Erica, but I even think there's a deeper part in how we can better, do a better job letting our educators, our teachers, our kids' teachers know, or how can we better support them? This All is like, a, I know, right? I know this is probably like a whole nother thing, but just something I was, I was thinking about as you were speaking was, yes, do we have to do the work at home and do it with our kids? But also I couldn't imagine being an educator and not feeling supported by the kids that the parents of the kids that I was, I was teaching and how different that would look. I remember when we did parent teacher conferences and I was having a conversation with the teacher, she just said, oh my gosh, that's so unacceptable. It was something. And she's like, I wish we had more resources or more families that wanted to be involved and have that conversation and, and come to me when that was a thing instead of, you know, I think it reaches a breaking point where nothing gets done or you think that something should be done. And then you're mad with the edu mad at, 
at the educator and they have no idea what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think this, I, I hear this a lot or when I read stuff or, you know, in different threads and all going back to educators or even listening to the educators that we have within Detroit mom, how exhausted they are and how unsupported they feel in all of these different things. And like, how can we do, you know, I know this is probably much, very much another conversation, but yes, does it start with our kids, but also how can we better support our educators so that we can be a team right. in all of this? And it not feel so the educators doing stuff, the parents doing stuff, this, this thing, like I am full, like transparency here. I wish I could live in a commune or something where we all took care of our kids together. We all like, this is how I, I think of like native Americans and things like everybody took care of each other's kids. Even, you know, like I remember somebody telling me if you lived on you know, in a, a street in the city of Detroit back in the day, right? Women were, you know, black women specifically watch, everyone's watching each other's kids, watching out for everybody, taking pies to each other, doing this. Like I, and here, this is a whole nother conversation. It just bothers me so much that as a community, especially in the, in the white community, I do feel this and whoever doesn't, this is a beautiful thing. We have different opinions. I do feel that is very singular, right? It's very me, what's happening to me, what's happening to my family, this, not, not the bigger picture. And I, I literally was saying this to the other day is like, I would love to live in a world, in a community where we all took care of each other's kids. We were all part of bringing children up because there's so much pressure too when it's just you trying to raise these human beings. Imagine if we just did it together. I don't, I just, I have a lot of, and maybe a commune. It's a commune, right? Like, yeah. when it, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. And those probably have bad reputations. I don't know. I think like cult, things like that. But, but it's like that in India and some back home countries as well. I know in India, it's like that. My husband was kind of like raised in that same atmosphere. Yeah. So, and I tell him, I say, it's so hard here to do it all by yourself all the time. I know. And, how can we change that but i think that's what it is right oh, have that communicate where what your child's world is have an open communication with everyone that's in that world and yeah. so that, that, that schools have an open conversation with your teachers have an open dialogue with your neighbors but when the kids see that their parent is not the only one yeah. they may reach out to somebody when they need that help or that support that's the thing i think yeah okay this is this is probably a whole i realized that a whole nother conversation so i'm <laughs> i'm going to end it there because I do feel very strongly about this. So anyways, what are some action steps really quick? Let's, let's some action steps that people can take this over the next couple of weeks to create the space or, you know, really open the dialogue. And so I was thinking about, I know, Kanisha, you mentioned that like the slew of resources that we shared can be overwhelming. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of when, with regard to anything, especially for new moms that are trying to figure stuff out, pick one source you want to listen to and go with that. Like I'm a big, I usually share the NASP stuff a lot. That's the National Association of School Psychologists, but they tend to have like a nice one pager that's succinct and helpful. But like these sorts of guides about what to talk to your kids about and how, like what to look for, but how to have the conversation with your kids. I feel like if it's theirs or someone else's, but like find a source, study it. And maybe over the next couple of weeks, do that, like commit to that. And that might be, a huge step forward. 
And let's put that, we'll put that in the the comments section too. I know we have a couple resources, but there's so much there. We try to put them all together. So it's one location that you're looking at everything versus, you know, pulling stuff, but. And sharing and liking isn't the same thing as reading and doing the work. Reading and actually. <laughs> so here, you guys, this is your homework. The next two weeks, two weeks, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll start this with just, I would love some of you to just even put in the comments when we come back, like what you've done in your homes. And maybe this is something we can do over on social and, and really start having the conversation. And if you are stuck on what to do, reach out to us. You are not alone in this. And when I said, I would love to live in a commune, I would love it to be with all of you. So if that, if we are all raising and supporting and doing this stuff with our children, let's do this together. And so how can we do that? And I think it, this is the best place to start. If you're uncomfortable and you don't know what to do, reach out to us. DM us, send either Erica, myself, Kanisha, Tamkeen, anyone a message, but thank you for being here. We have gone back and forth on, man, do we have this conversation today? But what better time to get uncomfortable than during a really uncomfortable situation that hopefully doesn't ever happen again in Michigan. So we hope you guys have a great, great Monday, December 6th. Whoa, Christmas is right around the corner. And we will see you guys back in two weeks. And it's a good conversation we're going to be having. So join us in two weeks and we'll see you later. Bye.